Agencies make things possible that our marketing teams just can't do with the resources they have. Now, what's maddening is the variety of different ways a problem like getting search traffic can be solved. I believe that data can help us decide who we should go with and which agencies we should just let go. But what data should you be asking for? Ask any agency and they'll tell you, well, it's the data that we provide. So who can you trust? Well, fortunately, I have an old friend and a high integrity individual that I can ask. Someone I know that won't tell me what I want to hear. Lance Loveday is the founder and CEO of Closed Loop, a digital advertising agency that specializes in paid media management. I know Lance as a speaker and as a straight shooter. Now, don't be fooled by his mild manner. We talk about the tough questions to ask when bringing on external resources to solve your most important problems. I was surprised by some of his answers, which means I learned something, and I think you will too. Welcome to Intended Consequences, a podcast from Conversion Sciences. I'm Brian Massey, and I believe that anyone is capable of using behavioral science to predict the success of their marketing campaigns. Marketing magic is real, and I'll teach you how to harness it. I mean, there's a really important qualitative element involved in, in any relationship, right? And I think you, you need to have good chemistry. You need to ensure that there is alignment of values between the organizations and between the teams. As an optimizer by nature, digital marketing comes naturally to Lance. He's analytical, but also creative. He uses his left brain and his right brain. And that is a theme that we touch on over and over again on this podcast. You can see why I invited him on. Closed Loop helps organizations leverage user experience to maximize strategic advantage. Their work is guided by a few simple beliefs. Good user experience is good business. They believe there's always room for improvement and companies that value design, UX, and the human element will outperform those that live and die only by the numbers. As a data guy, that's intriguing to me. Lance believes that if you're investing in the competitive ad auctions on Google and Facebook, you don't want to be the dumb money at the table. Listen as we explore how to find an agency relationship that gives you a competitive advantage. Tell us a little bit about the business and um, what you guys feature. We're now a digital advertising agency and paid media management is uh, all we do. Uh, and we, we like to think we're among the best in the world at it. Certainly as a, as a boutique shop, we, we punch above our weight and put up good results. And uh, I love it because it, it, it still allows me to indulge in that kind of left brain and right brain at the same time. And, you know, we've grown organically to the point where, you know, I'm, I'm less involved in the day-to-day -day management, um, but, but get to, to build and, and lead a team. Uh, of people. And, and that's been a fun journey for me to be able to um, evolve according to what the company has needed and to um, really become more of a company leader and, and less of a, a digital marketer. And you get to hang out on swanky podcasts too. Bingo, man. I love it. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that's what we do. And I, um, I liken what we do to 
kind of investment management, you know, the, in, in the wealth management world, you know, there's this advertising spend, which really should be thought of as an investment. Um, and, and it's very much like, you know, managing your money and managing your investments. And in the digital advertising world, it's just a wildly inefficient market. Uh, and it's, it's largely unregulated. So I, I joke that my job is awesome because it's like getting to run a hedge fund where insider trading is totally legal. <laughs> now, now say more about that. Um, uh, because uh, I guess um, we see it as a little bit, I guess I see it as somewhat commodity. I, I say that knowing that we love to convert paid traffic. We love to convert paid search traffic in particular because it has that lovely intent uh, attached to it as opposed to the interrupt drone traffic that we get from Facebook and some of the other ad networks. But unregulated, Wild West, tell me a little bit more about that. You know, in your world, in kind of the, you know, the post-click optimization world for the most part, you know, there's the funnel, right? And, and, and for you, the, the top of the funnel is the, the traffic that, that gets to the website, right? Well, we, we have, use a similar concept in, in our world, right? And, um, and there's, there's a funnel in the pre-click side of things. We want to get the right traffic there. And not all traffic, of course, is, is created equal. And so we want to get the most valuable traffic that is the most likely to convert and produce the highest lifetime value for our clients to the site. Um, and we're competing against others out there who are bidding for that same pool, uh, addressable pool of traffic. Uh, and there are hundreds, thousands of levers that we can pull to try to gain a competitive advantage and cherry pick the most valuable traffic uh, out there on behalf of our clients. And if we do our jobs well, it really does become a source of competitive advantage. And they end up drawing in more of that more valuable traffic, which we can then hopefully do a good job of converting. And um, we can get into kind of a virtuous cycle. And so if we can win on the front end with the ad campaigns and win on the back end with higher conversion rates, close rates, deal values, and, and so on, and lifetime value, you know, if you do all of those things well, you're going to massively outgrow and outperform the market. And, and that's really what we love doing. And we see, we see a mix of people who are, who are doing it themselves uh, versus um, uh, hiring an agency to do it. And I think the thing that's frustrating that makes it difficult to, I guess, judge uh, an agency or getting some help is uh, after you've talked to several, you get very different answers in terms of what keyword or key phrase strategy um, you should be using. Um, some people talk about it's not about keyword phrases anymore. It's about concepts. And this is something that I think having good data would help. Tell me how you figure out where these opportunities are, these unique opportunities are, um, and, and uh, how you uh, can outperform uh, the competition for those keywords and those phrases. Sure. Well, well, first off, you know, the, the idea of uh, being so reliant on keywords, key phrases, it, it has become somewhat antiquated. Um, there are so many different forms of targeting now, and you can, you can layer those different forms of targeting on now that it's, it's become really far more complicated than most people appreciate, uh, at least when, when you're doing it properly. You can weight the spend toward those most valuable uh, pools of traffic that exist out there, but but you've got to figure out where they are and how to how to target them, right? So you know you can target now by device. Obviously, you can target by time of day. You can target 
by audience, which is a huge one. And there are lots of different ways of, you know, layering different forms of, of audience targeting on. You've got ad formats to, you know, work into the mix. And then you've got the qualitative elements as well about, you know, the ad copy itself, the offer, uh, and, and so on. So you've got more variables now than, than you ever have. And so the, the idea that traffic segments cleanly by according to intent as indicated by keyword is, is really just passe. It's just not the case anymore. It's not even an issue. Well, I shouldn't say it's not even an issue, but there's just so much else going on that. So the, that's kind of a marker. If somebody is coming to you and talking about keyword and key phrases, that might be a red flag that they aren't looking at the full funnel approach. That they're, they're missing out on the, the nuance uh, and the reality of how of more sophisticated advertising strategies today for, for sure. Yeah. Nuance makes it sound much smaller than because you were just talking about uh, massively outperforming uh, the competition. If you've got the right team. Yeah, but that's how you do it. That's, that's what's fun, right? You, you massively outperform by doing a lot of small things, right? And, and that I think is the disconnect for a lot of people because you're right. I think some of the things we talk about end up sounding like a little, a little geeky, a little esoteric even sometimes. But the reason we get excited about it is that individually, they might be small things, but the aggregation of those marginal gains is what leads to massive outperformance. And and that's, um, it's not sexy, but boy, does it work. So um, on uh, in the audience here, there are people who um, uh, have probably toyed with paid search. Unfortunately, most of them have uh, find it frustrating and probably aren't seeing much success. There are folks that are spending $10,000 a month. There are folks that are spending $250,000 a month. So as I grow into this, um, what are the points at which I should be bringing in professionals, bringing in agency? I think the point at which you're spending real money uh, on the the campaigns, you you should absolutely make sure that your interests are being looked after by a professional. It always feels like real money. (laughs) It it, it does. But I mean, it's one thing to ask the person who's running the website to, Hey, run the paid media campaigns too. Um, and even though you're not, you know, fully trained and, and you're not a professional at this, we're going to ask you to take this on as a fourth or fifth responsibility. And, and that's okay. If you're spending, you know, maybe 10 or 20,000 a month as a, as a mid-sized company, it's really not okay at the point you're spending a hundred or 200,000 a month to not have a dedicated professional who, who does this? Because if, if you do that, I hate saying it, but you're essentially the dumb money at the poker table. And, and that's just not where you want to be. I mean, these are highly competitive auction environments. And if you, if you don't know for sure that you're winning, you're almost guaranteed to be losing. Very interesting. If you don't know for sure that you're winning, you're almost guaranteed to be losing. So that might scare some people away from um, from paid search. Would you recommend that they not dabble in a, a paid search advertising approach until they have a, a budget large enough to either bring in a good individual contributor who, who knows how to do it or um, a team like yours? I don't know that I'd guard people against it entirely. I mean, there, there are some no-brainer tactics that you know, everybody should probably be doing, they should probably be at least bidding on their own brand terms, assuming the, those brand terms are, are differentiated. You know, they should at least be engaging in some basic retargeting. Um, you know, that's, that's just the lowest of the low hanging fruit 
out there. But if you're going to get you know too far beyond that, you'll want someone who's capable of bringing in a, a higher level of sophistication, whether it's in-house or, or outsourced. So those dollars compete with a lot of other uh, uh, opportunities where as marketers getting pitched all sorts of things, you know, smart um, appending of our emails so that we can better target those things, different varieties of advertising. Should we be on Facebook? Has everything moved to Instagram? How do we, I guess you call this shiny object syndrome. How do we manage that as marketers? As we've said over and over on this podcast, marketers are understaffed, overburdened, and, you know, honestly, most marketers are really interested in doing all of these things. But uh, how do we how do we get a grip on where we should be investing these dollars? Well, you know, I, I, I try to hold all forms of media to the same KPIs and then kind of stack rank them and uh, understand the channels that are driving the best return for you and wait those you wait your spend there. Right. And then continue, you know, on down from there. And it, again, it's got to be a bit more nuanced. If you have awareness goals, well, then you want to take that into account. You don't want to necessarily dedicate you know, all of your budget to just harvesting demand and not doing anything to drive top of funnel traffic and performance. You know, that would be short term wise and long term foolish. So you need to make sure that your spend allocation and strategies align with your strategic your, your goals. And you've got to figure out the right KPIs to go along with, with those. And then that gives you kind of a starting point. And then from there, you know, that's when the art kind of kicks in, right? It's like based on actual performance. Now let's give ourselves the flexibility to start moving some budget around between these channels, between these tactics and, and mechanisms. Once we understand the, the data that's coming in and, and what it's telling us, you know, they say no, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. And, you know, I, I think the same is true of media plans. No, no media plan survives contact with the customer, right? So what should we be, we be asking for? Uh, you, you mentioned the K, KPIs, the key performance indicators. And I mean, for our customers, there are really a few KPIs. It is how many sales we're getting, how many leads we're getting, what the quality of the leads are. Very rarely are we focused on engagement. In fact, um, I had someone on the podcast earlier this year who said, if you're spending money on brand advertising, you're wasting your money. You shouldn't be doing any of that. Um, we've seen situations where the awareness advertising and the brand advertising gets turned off and suddenly it becomes harder to convert people because they need those familiarity touches. Well, that's an important nuance to bring up. I mean, and that's that's a good example of one, right? I mean, it... There is a school of thought that, yeah, I mean, you, you shouldn't be spending on anything branding related. And that might be the right answer for, for some advertisers. But increasingly, if you want to maximize the opportunity out there, you need to have kind of a, a full funnel advertising strategy to, again, both you know, feed the top of the funnel and then harvest the existing and you know, latent demand out there uh, as well. So... We're seeing opportunities, especially with social, to engage in those more full funnel uh, advertising uh, approaches. And, and that's just, it's, it's a lot of fun. It's unlocking a lot of potential. Um, and, and with the advent of more sophisticated attribution tracking and, and, and modeling schemes, we can see the contribution of different touch points uh, throughout that, that sales uh, journey. 
and um, it's really just a beautiful thing when it when it's architected and executed well. So all of these things start to kind of pile up in the brain, distribution modeling, all of this stuff. Uh, what should a marketer be asking for in terms of data from an organization like you, yours? What, what lets me know that this is forming and it's peak performance, or at least it's improving? Yeah, that's a good question. That, that's something we've spent a lot of time on, especially in the last few years. It was standard practice a few years ago to provide pretty much front-end data uh, from the platforms and maybe, you know, you, you, you show lead flow or, or initial sales or something, an initial conversion point. I don't think that's sufficient. I think you should align the metrics that you're optimizing against and reporting on with the, the business objectives. And so we have uh, built a, a data tool that lets us engage in what, what we call deep funnel optimization, right? So instead of settling for a cost per lead or a cost per sale metric and, and optimizing for that, we're actually always trying to go at least one step deeper in the funnel. And, and for us, that means associating customer records in a CRM, for example, with the ad campaign data so that over time, as that data builds up, we can do long-term lookbacks and say, oh, you know what? This campaign drove a lot of leads, but they didn't convert. So while it looked attractive on the front end, it turns out those are junk leads. Whereas this other one, where the leads are more expensive and we didn't think we could afford to buy them, it turns out the close rate on those is astronomical. And we want to buy as many of those as we can get. So we're going to weight our spend now to these leads that we thought we couldn't afford before, but it turns out are totally worth it. And so when you that that's the additional intelligence you can get when you engage in that deeper funnel optimization. And that's why how you can gain a competitive advantage because what you end up doing is you end up letting your competitor who is happy to buy those cheap leads that you know are worthless while you're cherry picking the most valuable ones out there. Uh, and that for us is is just opened up all kinds of opportunity. Well, let them have those. The guy with the, the lowest acquisition cost wins essentially in this game. It, it does, but it's it's not just the acquisition. It's ultimately, you know, the deepest funnel metric you can optimize to. And, and that's, I think, where a lot of people are still stuck in, in you know, what, what I think of as an old school mindset where they're, they're focused on that cost per lead metric or that initial cost per acquisition metric. I'd much rather know what your cost per MQL is, what your cost per SQL is. And ultimately, I mean, the, the end of that rainbow, we want to get to how do we optimize to the lifetime value? Lifetime value or for lead generation, the long sales cycle. These are always the more difficult problems for us to solve. And many clients come to us. I'm sure you've seen the same. They don't really know what the lifetime value or the long-term value of a form fill is. They don't know what the, the lifetime value even of an e-commerce purchase. Uh, and those can go over months, sometimes over years. So your tool gathers that and properly attributes it. And if I've been working with you for six months, I can look back and, and, and say, just like you said, initially, this looked like a losing campaign. But after everyone's had time to close and after everyone's had time to do multiple transactions, come back to the site and buy more, that was a winner. And that's, that's actually pretty amazing. So you've got, to, you've got to wire it into the entire stack for a marketer. Exactly. That's, that's the, the hard part is, is doing that kind of the dirty data plumbing to enable all of that, but, you know, having done it uh, for, for multiple clients and multiple stacks and, and systems at this point, we've, we've, I hate to say we figured out how to do it, uh, but we, we know how 
to do it. And we, we've really built that muscle. When we had a number of conversations on this podcast about stacks, it seems to be the, I don't know, the, the, the model that makes things a little bit easier to understand, but most stacks are created kind of ad hoc. Oh, we need a CRM. Oh, now we need a marketing automation system. Oh, now we've got these different ad platforms that we want to plug into this. Oh, now we're using a different CMS for our website that's collecting all of these things. Do you guys go in and figure out how to pipe the, uh, the data through all of those things? That's exactly what we do. And, you know, as an agency, we, we have to be somewhat agnostic. You know, in most cases, we're not going to change the existing stack. We've, we've got to work with what we've got. And, and like I said, we've, we've figured out how to do that in, in a lot of cases. And we're working primarily with, with larger clients. And so in the case of lead gen clients, most of the time they're using Salesforce. You know, and so we, you know, we know very well how to integrate with Salesforce and pull that data uh, and append, you know, the data, the customer record data um, in, in ways that allow us to uh, close that loop, so to speak. So it's hard up front, but so incredibly powerful and unlocks so much potential um, that uh, it's something everyone really should be thinking about and, and should be executing against. Um, and, and they shouldn't be scared off from, from pursuing it. it the, the, the value is just too great. Okay. So are there, um, are there some, you know, this is a very interesting value proposition. What is your advice to folks in terms of what questions to ask when they're choosing a team that's going to come in? Um, and you've raised the bar. You said they need to come in. They need to instrument my stack. They need to be looking long-term. They need to be looking at the full funnel and using that information to decide what strategies to use, which platforms to be advertising on, which creative to use. How do we how do we size up and say we've got a list of three agencies, three teams that we uh, we want to bring in? What are the cut questions that, in your mind? Yeah, there are a couple. Um, I think one good one, you know, it's pretty straightforward. Is just where would we fit in uh, in terms of size amongst your client base? Mm, interesting. You know, are are we going to be a small fish? And, and therefore get minimal attention? Or are we going to be a relatively big fish for you and get a little extra love and attention? You know, I, th- I think that's a really good one. And, and like I say, pretty straightforward. So right-sizing the agency um, or the team to yourself yeah. to the team. Very interesting. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a good one. And then one that, that I really push for is ask to meet the team that would be dedicated to your account. You know, it, it drives me nuts to compete with agencies I know are putting – junior inexperienced people on accounts, you know, and because we, we just, we don't do that. I mean, philosophically, we, we have a very high touch model. We have a very senior team and I'm, I fundamentally believe that that more experienced person at the controls of the campaigns is going to run circles around the, the junior person at the controls of, of, of a competing campaign. Amen to that. People are always surprised to hear me show up on uh, like their kickoff call. They're like, Oh, so you're going to be, you're actually going to be working on this with us. Now we're, we're a relatively small team here, so so we can do it that way, and we like delivering that. But underneath that is, yeah, the last time I worked with an agency, you know, I got um, someone who was a few years out of college running my account in whatever format it was. So uh, that's also a very interesting question. Keep going. Are there others that you do uh, you think we should be asking? Well, well, you know, just to follow on to the you know, ask to meet the team question uh, you know part of it too is is to ensure that there is that there's good chemistry for lack of a better term you know i mean uh, there, there's a there's a really important qualitative element 
involved in, in any relationship, right? And I think you, you need to have good chemistry. You need to ensure that there is alignment of values between the organizations and between the teams, you know, if, um, and, and I've gotten, uh, I think increasingly sensitive radar, uh, about those qualitative factors. You know, if, if a prospective client comes in and they're just constantly beating us down, even in the sales process and, and they're being, um, short and, and even, you know, rude at, at times, um, and dismissive, why would I want to work with that person? And why would I want to subject my team to that for, uh, you know, what might be years? So, you know, I'm, I'm increasingly attuned to that, but I think clients should be more attuned to it as well. I think clients should be vetting for the qualitative relationship and, and value fit uh, as well, because ultimately I, th- I think that counts as much or, or even more than um, ensuring that you've got a, kind of a good strategic fit and, and good Uh, confidence in an agency's ability to drive performance. It's that transition from the sales guy who is, uh, is really motivated almost by all plans to, to to close deals and uh, to um, talking to a team that is making sure they're being on the right clients. Choosing your clients is uh, really important. When you get back to the office Think about how you act as an agency to your internal teams. Ask yourself a few good questions. What do I do to ensure that I'm communicating the right amount? What data do I deliver and why did I pick that data? How do I work on my fit with the rest of the team? And how am I soliciting feedback from others to improve what I do? The answers you give yourself can then be turned around to your agency relationships. What you expect of yourself should be expected of your agencies. Demand it. That's all for today, scientists. 